0: Good morning, church family. Happy Easter. The Lord is risen today. The tomb is empty, and that changes everything. Sing with us today. Hosanna. Praise is rising. Well, welcome church family and iCampus viewers. We are so thankful that you are with us and that you are watching, especially on this Easter day. Miss Sue Miller has provided these beautiful flowers for us today. And they remind us that it is indeed Easter and the tomb is empty. Happy Easter. If this is your first time with us, there's an online connection card that we would love for you to complete. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, there is a link in the comments If you're watching on our website, just follow that link for the connection card. Scroll all the way down, and that link will be there. If you have prayer needs today, there is also a prayer request card link as well. Again, be all in with us today, especially today. Turn that volume knob up loud and sing with us. Mercy there was great and grace was free at Calvary. Worship the risen Lord today. Today we praise the name of the Lord because Jesus is alive. Praise his name together with us. Yeah.
1: Do praise the name of the Lord our God this morning and we worship him this Easter Sunday and I'm glad that you've joined us today to be able to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to turn in your copy of God's word to Luke chapter 23 verses 32 through 43 as we focus our attention this Easter Sunday on a message entitled Changed, Guilty to Pardoned as we continue our series Empty This Changes Everything. This is certainly a different Easter for us all. We were expecting this to be probably the largest attended Easter service in several decades here at our church. And you know what? It probably is. You're just not here, you're actually at home. And the way the weather is today, this may be a better setup anyway. And so we're glad that you've joined us and we're looking forward to seeing people changed. All over because a couple of weeks ago, overnight, we became a multi site church with campuses all throughout central Louisiana, our state, even our nation, and even around the world. And it's been kind of neat to see what God has done over the last couple of weeks. In fact, just last week, we had a lady trust Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior all the way in Ohio. And I'm looking forward to seeing that kind of thing happen in the weeks, months, and even years to come. After we get back to normal, I'm looking forward to seeing how God's going to use the things he's done now to bring us to a different level of ministry in the age to come. But for now, the building is empty. And that has changed everything. In fact, has the title of this sermon series kind of stuck out to you with its double meaning yet. Uh, When I was driving up to the church a couple of weeks ago, I just started laughing when I saw the posters because this sermon series was planned after Christmas and the day it launched was our first weird Sunday. And ever since then, the building has been empty and that has changed everything. But today, we celebrate the empty tomb, which changed more than just a few weeks in our worship it changed everything for eternity and today we're going to look specifically at the crucifixion encountering Jesus on the cross and celebrating the change he brought with his death burial and resurrection I want to ask the Lord now to be with us and to help us to not miss what he might want to say to us this morning would you pray with me Our Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would speak to us in a powerful and a clear way. Lord, as we look at your cross again, as we see the transformation that brought, as we celebrate the empty tomb and remember the changes that that brought, and as we celebrate the Lord's table and remember your sacrifice for us, we pray, Lord, that you would change us. Lord, may we not end this service the same as we began, but may we be transformed. Whatever you want to say to each of us individually today, help us not to miss it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Guilty, that's what he was. He was a thief. The particular crime no longer mattered. The fact was he had done it, And today was the day he would be executed for it. As the criminal scanned the cell around him, he remembered his crime. Why had he fallen to such impulses? He recalled the moment of his arrest, his rebellion, and then his submission. During his trial, the anger boiled within him. And when the sentence was handed down, that he would be crucified, he knew his life was over. For many days after that, he had wept. Part of that time, he wept out of sorrow, but a lot of the time, he wept out of anger. Anger over those who had encouraged him to go through with his plot. Anger at himself for going along with it. Anger at the people who had convicted him. Anger at the people who had snitched on him. Anger consumed him. But the tears had finally ended a day or so ago. Ever since, he had been sitting in silence, pondering, wondering. And today was the day. He heard the guards coming down the hall, laughing as they did. He heard the key enter the lock. He heard the jail cell door opened, and he saw the Roman guards. The criminal hated the Romans. They had come into his city and overtaken it, and it looked like they were here to stay. The two guards came into the tomb. They picked him up, one on each side, and they led him down the hall and then outside of the prison. And there he saw it, the crossbeam for his cross. Uh, The soldiers began to attach and strap that beam to his back, the splinters piercing into his back as they did. But as they were doing so, uh, another criminal was let out by some other guards. And this man was cursing and yelling the entire time he was being let out. When both criminals had the beam strapped to their backs, The soldiers led them out to the street, and they began to hear the commotion. A large crowd was coming. People were yelling. Some were wailing, and both criminals tried to see what was going on. This way, the guards said, and hurried them along until they rounded the corner and into the busy street, and they merged into the commotion. There was another prisoner stumbling along the street with yet another man following behind carrying the prisoner's cross. The criminal could tell that this particular prisoner was not well off. He was beaten. He had blood everywhere. He had a crown of thorns on his head, and the blood trickled down his face and mingled into his beard. The criminal looked ahead of that particular prisoner and saw a placard being carried, a placard that would soon be put on top of the cross, above that prisoner's head. And though the criminal could see that the placard was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, he could only read the Hebrew, and he read it, the king of the Jews. But that was Herod. Who was this? The criminal wondered. He listened, and he heard a name being called by the crowd. Jesus, some called out in wailing. Jesus, others called out mocking. Fall in behind, the soldiers barked, and the criminals did as they were told. They were following the king of the Jews to Golgotha. In verse 32, Luke writes, two other men, both criminals were led out with him to be executed. As they stumbled through the streets, the crowd pressed in and the beams pressed down. Still, the criminal's thoughts couldn't leave the bloody man stumbling up ahead. Jesus. Jesus. He had heard about this rabbi. He had heard that, that this man loved people like him. That this Jesus had made a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He taught as no one had ever heard. He healed people. He had heard about him. And the way the streets looked, a whole lot of other people had as well. Some of those people obviously loved him. But it looked today like most of the people loathed him. The criminal himself had never been with Jesus but today he was when they came to the place called the skull there they crucified him along with the criminals one on his right the other on his left after the long spectacle through the city streets finally the two criminals and Jesus arrived at the location outside of the city set aside for crucifixions. It was called the place of the skull. In Greek, it's the word cranium, from which we get our word cranium. In Hebrew, the word is Golgotha. The King James Version here translates it Calvary, taking the Latin instead of the Hebrew or the Greek. But whether you call it Calvary or Cranian or Golgotha, all three words mean the same thing, skull, a place of death, the place of the skull. There the three men were nailed to their crosses. The agony and accompanying cries of anguish were unbearable. In fact, crucifixion was so harsh that Romans didn't even allow Roman citizens to be crucified. As the people watched and heard, some ladies fainted. Most people, though, just turned their heads away, unable to watch the gruesome scene. The three men were then lifted up, Jesus in the middle and a criminal on each side. The cross beams falling into their places with a thud. As the criminal hung there, writhing in his own pain he could hear Jesus breathing beside him he struggled for breath and he could tell that Jesus was much worse off but then Jesus said father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing he didn't just say it once he kept saying it you see the tense The verb there, said, is imperfect, meaning a continual action. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The criminal thought, forgive them. What kind of man would forgive this? What kind of man could forgive this, if he even would forgive this? And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Nevertheless, Jesus kept praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He never responded to the incessant insults being cast at him. He only responded with a prayer of intercession and forgiveness. Why doesn't he defend himself, the criminal thought, unless there's nothing to defend? The criminal pondered, maybe Jesus is who they are mocking him as being. Maybe Jesus is who he says he is. the criminal remembered enough synagogue lessons to remember the prophecies about the long-awaited Messiah. And this must be him. But everyone was missing it including the religious leaders, how could they miss the Messiah? Of course. Of course those holy jokes missed it. They were as corrupt as the criminal was himself. They just covered it up. The criminal scanned the crowd from his vantage point on high. The cries grew silent to his ears as his eyes focused on the faces he could see some women crying and they obviously believed he saw some other men who looked very fearful hovering in the shadows hoping not to be recognized but he could tell they wanted to believe finally his eye fell right down to the base of the crosses where he saw the centurion looking up at Jesus with a note of ponder on his face. And the criminal thought, could this centurion be about to believe in Jesus, even though he's in charge of this whole scene? An angry voice pierced through the focused silence of the criminal's ponderings. Aren't you the Christ Save yourself and us, the other criminal hurled at him. As he heard the angry words, the criminal realized that all of the insults were actually proclaiming exactly who Jesus was. There on that gory hill, the glory of Jesus the Christ was actually on display. The crowd and rulers were admitting that Jesus saved others. They were declaring that he claimed to be the Son of God. They were even declaring that he claimed to be a king. And their insults became the final confirmation for the criminal that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. And he finally broke his silence. The criminal rebuked and said, "Since don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's pause the story for a moment here and notice some key points about this what this criminal said. Uh, First, he knew who God was. He says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? The criminal knew that God was worthy of respect and honor. He had a holy fear of God, meaning he stood in awe of God and trembled at his mighty hand, especially in the face of certain death the criminal knew that god was the righteous judge of all sin and and in a few hours he would be face to face with his maker the criminal could not understand how the other criminal could be so flippant and so violent in the face of death do you have a fear of god how is your all quotient when it comes to the master of the universe? We should be so in awe of God that we fall on our knees in adoration and in worship and in repentance. This criminal was keenly aware of who God was. Are you? The second thing we see about this criminal's statement is that he knew who he was. He says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. The criminal had a clear awareness of his own sin. He freely admitted his crime. He owned his punishment as a just civil punishment. He deserved what he was getting. You do the crime, you do the time. Or in this case, you do the crime, you give your life. The same is true when it comes to sin. The Bible says in Romans 3 that there's no one righteous, not even one. In fact, Romans 3.23 clarifies by saying that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. Every single one of us there's no one righteous not even one and and even no matter how good we are god's standard of perfection is so high that we could never reach it on our own we've all fallen short of the glory of god so like this criminal we are guilty as charged so what's the time for the crime Well, just like the criminal, it's the death penalty. The wage of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. So what we earn for what we do in sin is death. We're in a fix. Sinners destined to die. But here's the glorious hope. That same verse that issues the death sentence for the wages of sin is death has a Conjunction with unction before the next clause. It's the conjunction but. And then it says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin may be death, but God offers the gift of eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. He has made a way for us to be saved. For us to live again. For us to live eternally. How do you get it? As the scripture says in Romans, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's with your heart that you believe. It's with your mouth that you confess. Verse 11 even tells us that anyone who trust in him, will never be put to shame. Romans 10, 13 declares everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, everyone, from the vilest criminal to the pretty good person. All of us are in need of salvation because all of us are sinners. If you've never called on the name of the Lord and been saved, I pray that today will be The day of salvation. The path to salvation begins with remembering who God is, but it continues with knowing who you are, by knowing that you are a sinner in need of redemption. But then it continues with what this criminal learned. He knew who Jesus was. Did you notice what he said there? He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then the criminal turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Every time I read this story, I'm shocked by the truth declared by the criminal. In his statement about Jesus, he captures two important thoughts. The first is that Jesus was innocent of any crime deserving death. And second, Jesus was who he said he was. This criminal may not have known everything about Jesus' life, but it had become obvious to him that Jesus was indeed who he said he was. He must be the long-awaited Messiah. Early in Jesus' ministry, the disciples of John the Baptist had come to Jesus and asked, Are you the one we're to wait for, or is someone else coming? And to them, Jesus replied in Luke seven twenty two. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. What was wrong with any of that? Absolutely nothing. Everything Jesus did pointed to who he was nothing was a crime everything was a blessing the criminal knew of his own guilt he was keenly aware of Jesus's innocence Jesus was the Messiah that meant his kingdom was coming the criminal didn't know when he didn't know how he didn't know what it would be like but it was obvious that both he and Jesus were going to die on this day But still the man believed. So he asked, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, not my works. I don't have any. Just remember me. Remember me, not that I died next to you on the cross. Just remember me. Again, the tense of the verb suggests that he continued to utter this request. It was his most urgent plea in the face of death. The criminal wanted to be saved, not from the cross, as the other criminal had so prayed, if you can call it that. This criminal wanted to be saved for eternity. He wanted his life transformed. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He needed forgiveness. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He needed redemption. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He needed salvation. He didn't need to repeat it, but he did. And Jesus heard his request, his prayer, and because the criminal knew who God was and was keenly aware of his own sin and who he was and because he acknowledged who Jesus was, jesus saved him right there he declares it so in verse 43 jesus answered him i tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise circle that word today Uh, the man had asked to be remembered one day jesus said he would be with him today today they were on that gory hill Ukrainian, Golgotha, Calvary. But also today, they would be in paradise. In a moment, that criminal was changed from guilty to pardoned, and I suppose even from dead to alive. But at the same time, he becomes kind of the culmination of everyone that Jesus had touched because... He too was changed from lost to saved and from blind to seen, from desperate to rescued and from broken to mended. As Jesus' blood spilled out on that cross and that criminal called out in faith, the blood of Jesus ran over that criminal's sins, washing them white. As snow. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The sky began to grow dark. The criminal looked around and he knew something significant was taking place. And then he heard Jesus say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The ground quaked beneath them and Jesus cried out, It is finished. The criminal now weak himself was able to turn his head enough to see Jesus breathe in, exhale, and die. As his own head began to fall, the criminal caught the centurion below Jesus' cross. And he heard the centurion say, surely this was a righteous man. The criminal thought to himself, yes, he certainly was. And because he was, so now am I as well. And with that, he too excelled and died. Both the criminal's body and Jesus' body were removed from the crosses and buried. Jesus, we know, was placed in a borrowed tomb three days later. He was raised from the dead. Forty days after that, he ascended to heaven. And about ten days after that, he dispatched his Holy Spirit to fill the church. And we're benefactors of that today. But the criminal, we don't know what happened to his body or where he was buried. He's never mentioned again after Jesus' statement declaring his salvation. But we know where he is today. He's in paradise with Jesus Christ. In fact, I really should stop calling him the criminal because he's no longer remembered by his sins, but by his salvation. And so since we no longer, we don't really know his actual name, we'll just call him the redeemed. Today, the redeemed is in paradise with Jesus what a glorious thought. This man who had messed up so much in life is blessed forever in eternity simply because of his redemption through Jesus Christ. What a reminder to us all of amazing grace. Salvation is not based on anything that we've done. It's based entirely in what Jesus has done and the extension of his grace to us the redeemed story also reminds us that it's never too late to trust in jesus we get too old too sick and too disabled to do a lot of things in life but we never become unable to trust jesus christ as our lord and savior perhaps you've been waiting a very long time to surrender to jesus why have you been waiting why let Another day linger without coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Today could be the day of salvation. It could be your resurrection Sunday. Come out of death and come in to life. The miracle of Easter is that the cross is empty. Jesus died once. The righteous for the unrighteous. The miracle of Easter is that the tomb is also empty because Jesus is alive and well today. Empty. This changes everything. Guilty. That's what he was. Pardoned. That's what he became. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us to experience salvation. And so, Lord, right now in every home and place where people are watching, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present and that, God, you would speak to people's hearts right now. Lord, may they assess their heart to determine whether they have given their life over to you as their Lord and Savior. And God, if they haven't, then right now, help them to do so. Lord, help them to admit that they're a sinner, to be fully aware of who they are. May they also, Lord, believe that you are who you are and that Jesus is who he said he is that they'll believe that they have a penalty to pay for their sins, but that Jesus has stepped in to pay that penalty for them by what he did on the cross. And Lord, may they then do what we've heard about today, that they would believe in their heart, but they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord, may they welcome you into their life, simply asking you to come. We pray, Lord, that right now, In homes all throughout central Louisiana, across this state, throughout our nation, and yes, God, even around the world, we pray that people are being saved. God, we pray for transformation to take place, and we ask that you would do a powerful work in this moment, in Jesus' name, amen. If you're one of those people that's trusting Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, then I encourage you to Take that uh, decision form that's being posted there as a link and also is available on our live streams. Follow that link. Fill it out and let us know of your decision today, and one of our pastoral encouragers will be in touch with you about your decision this very week. I know that there were people... Trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today, and we look forward to celebrating that with you. And if you have a question about more about how to do that, just put that on that decision form, and we'll be in contact with you about that as well. We are so grateful for the mighty cross today. As we prepare to celebrate the Lord's communion, would you focus on the cross again with us as our praise team sings a powerful song that lifts up the cross of Jesus Christ.
2: distance.
1: prepare to partake of the Lord's table. I hope that you have your elements there at your home for us to be able to celebrate together. And of course, baptism is the initial rite of a believer. After a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they are baptized as an expression of their faith. That is something that happens once, following salvation. But the Lord's Supper is often described as the continuing rite of the believer, and that is because it is something we do repeatedly to remember and to look ahead. In fact, there are many different things we do as we come to the Lord's table. We, of course, look back and remember what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, dying for us. But we also look up and worship because we know that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. And so we worship him as we remember him. And also we look ahead and anticipate what is to come, as we have even sung about today, the story didn't end with the resurrection. Jesus is coming again. And so we remember that if he kept his promises to come in the first place, he'll keep his promises to come again. So we look back and remember, we look up and worship, we look ahead and anticipate, but we also look within and we examine. The Scriptures remind us that we need to take these elements with a prepared heart, that we have no unconfessed sin in our lives, that we have our relationships made right with other people, and of course, that we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a time for those who are believers to participate. So I encourage you parents that if your children have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that you help them refrain but use this as a wonderful opportunity to teach them about the wonders of salvation and who knows but that your children may be saved today on Easter Sunday and also if you're watching and and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ then I pray that today would also be the day of salvation and as you see us remembering what Jesus did that you will allow what he did to be done for you As well in addition as we celebrate this Lord's Supper what we normally get to do as well is to look around and be encouraged we can see other people partaking of the elements as a reminder that this is the body of Christ and we are all together in this well we're all together in something else a little different today we're all scattered but yet we can still be together and be encouraged. In fact, what we'd love for you to do is to take pictures of your own family's celebration of the Lord's table and share that with us by email or post it to the live stream so that all of us can see one another partaking of this wonderful time of worship together. Matthew 26 reminds us of how things went that night at the Last Supper. Matthew writes, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks and broke it, and gave to his disciples, saying, Take and eat this bread. This is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom." So today we come and we take the elements of communion and we share them together. I always like to use this Jewish matzah bread because it is so symbolic and close to what Jesus would have used those years ago. You can see the puncture marks that are given by the baker. You can see the bruises where the flame has kissed the outside of the bread. And it's a perfect image of what happened to Jesus' body there on the cross, that it was broken, it was bruised, it was pierced. By his stripes we are healed. And of course, as we break it, we remember that his body was given for us. As you take this bread and as you eat it, remember, this is my body, broken, broken, for you. same way after the supper he took the cup was filled with wine the common drink of the day and as he could peer down into that cup and see its dark red crimson color he was able to remember his blood and think about his blood that would be shed for all of us as you look at that blood think about what he did for you that his blood washes away our sins normally blood stains this blood cleanses. It washes white as snow. And so Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as off as you drink it in remembrance of me. We have celebrated the Lord's table, remembering what Jesus did for us, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. May we thank him for the sacrifice that he made. May we thank him that he is alive today. Though we commemorate his death, we also know that we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the resurrection. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, he rose from the dead. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes again, thanking you, God, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and well today. He's alive and well in his church, though our church is scattered. He's alive and well in our hearts because we are full of his Holy Spirit. And God, we thank you for this day when we can celebrate all the wonderful things that you did. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are so thankful for the resurrection and to be able to celebrate today and to think about all that he did. Uh, This morning, early during uh, my Focus Point devotional, I asked folks to share some things that the resurrection had changed in them and the responses were kind of overwhelming and I had to stop after a while recording those, but I wanted to share with some you some of those as we prepare to wrap up in a time of worship today. Just think about this. How has the resurrection changed you or changed things for you? Fred Hilburn said, Satan and sin are defeated. Elizabeth Hilburn said, it's given me peace to know that I have a savior who loves me for today, for all my tomorrows, who has erased the mistakes of all my yesterdays?" Casey Kirkland answered simply, everything. Amanda Yancey, who's with us on the platform, said, "'Because we believe that Jesus has risen and has conquered death, the most unconquerable thing known to man, I can have full assurance that he will see me through any trial I face. If he can overcome death, the rest is no sweat.'" Herschel Corley says that the resurrection gives him hope and reassurance, gave him hope and reassurance when he had none. Jenny Corley says, as a nine-year-old she trusted Jesus, but now because he is risen and the tomb is empty, I live in the victory and assurance of knowing where I will spend eternity. Paulette McLaughlin says she's received comfort through grief. Jan Burr says she has received peace in her heart and eternal life. Karen Lafargue, that the empty grave assures me of life after death, that Jesus is who he says he is. Debbie Coe says, because of the empty grave, she has nothing to fear. Chris Roller says, the empty tomb has given me a full peace and hope. To better emphasize, just think about the empty, this changes everything, signs outside our church this morning. The building may be, but the heart of our church could not be fuller today. He is amazing, he has blessed us in so many ways, and he is worthy of all praise. Savannah Forrester says, on an everyday basis, empty is not a good thing. Empty means there's nothing there. Nothing in the world bothers me more than having an empty gas tank, especially at five in the morning. But an empty tomb, that's an incredible thing. Because whenever I feel the devil come against me, I can always say, remember how Jesus died and rose again three days later? I've got him on my side, devil. You and death were defeated. Nick Nixon says, the empty grave means, as the hymn says, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Candace LaCour emphasized the word hope as well. Shirley Willett says, in every darkness in life, there is always light from the tomb. Kayla Paul says, it gives me strength to go on when I don't know what to do. Friends, the empty grave is a powerful thing. That's why we've joined today. That's why we celebrate. And so as we conclude our service, would you join us in singing to the king who is coming to reign. He came, he died, he rose, he ascended, and he's coming back again.
0: God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Happy Easter. Have a great week.